This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jones. Jacobs. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to mobettersoul.bigcartel.com. Enter the code NEGRO to save 10% on your next motherfucking order. We're also sponsored by Down East Records. Go to downeastrecords.com or Down East Records on all the social media platforms. Enter code NEGRO. Go there for all of your vinyl needs. Blah, 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 blah. Happy New Year 2020. Um, we're pre-recording this before y'all motherfuckers actually hear it, all both of you. And I got a special guest in the building. Hello. <laughs> you I'm at looking something? at your book collection. Oh yeah, yeah. We go through some books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I got we'll people go in here that, that actually like read and shit. Like all my I guests are just ignorant motherfuckers, right? <laughs> um, tell everybody your name. My name is Ome Salmara Hemtula. All right, say it one time. Ome Salmara Hemtula. All right, get a little bit closer. Ome Salmara Hemtula. Oh, perfect. Okay. Okay. Is uh. <laughs> When you meet new people, how difficult is it for them to spell that? If you didn't tell them or give them any directions. Oh, I don't give anyone my full name. I'm just like, Ome. But when I used to do radio, I'd be like, uh, Ome, you know, Ome Salmar Hemtula. And then once I met a listener, mm. and they're like, oh, you're Ome from the radio. Rahantala. And he can say <laughs> my whole name. <laughs> he was just so enamored by the name. He's like, I love your name. Ome Salmar Hemtula. <laughs> <laughs> It does sound very poetic. It's like I always, always thought it was funny. Like in um in Pulp Fiction, when uh, Bruce Willis is in the car and he was talking to the woman. Her name was like Asmerelda, and she was just like, "What's your name?" He's like Butch, and she was like, "What does your name mean?" He's like, "I'm American. I ma- our names don't mean shit." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> there's something poetic um to those names. You know. Well, it it um it has a poetic meaning. It's Arabic, and Ome Salma means Mother of Peace. Oh wow! So you know, um, uh, oh god, why am I blanking? It's okay. This is the alcohol <laughs> and the heroin. We're Started doing heroin on heroin. the podcast. <laughs> heroin. I'm, I'm trying to snort it. Yeah, right. Heroin? No, shoot heroin. Right? I, see, that's how that's, that's how terrible we are. <laughs> we don't know the problem with it. Just drugs. Yeah. Um, most deaf. Mm-hmm. Song Umi, my Umi says, my says shine your light on the world. Yeah. I always say he's singing to me because Umi means mother. Ah. Ome Umi is the same word in Arabic. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, Mosef wrote that song for me. It's not talking about his mom, talking about me. <laughs> That's pretty dope. Okay. And oh, and Mosef changed his name. It's, it's Yasin y- Bey. Okay. So is that Arabic Yassin as well? Yasin Bey. Yasin, I mean, sounds like a Muslim name. Okay. I don't know about Bey. I mean, Yasin's probably definitely a. I mean, my mom's name is Yasmin, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it has similar. What's her name mean? Do you know? Jasmine, like Jasmine flower. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming I don't know, but I don't know what Yasin is. Okay. I don't know if it's related or not, but it's it, it is a Muslim name. I I know some some Muslims name Yasin. Word. Well, that's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you do for New Year's and Christmas and all that good shit? Well, I saw the salt and pepper. We're in Columbia, South Carolina, Concert. for the two listeners that might not be in town. We do something called Famously Hot New Year. Famously Hot um, New Year's. Where we bring motherfuckers and they brought salt and pepper. Did you see all the drama that was associated with that? Okay. 
So I'm watching <laughs> Solo Crepe, and I have this, of course, WhatsApp group with my really good friends from back in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was like, guys, guess what I'm doing? Because, you know, I'm a 90s kid, mm-hmm. so it was exciting. I took a video, and I'm like, look, it's Salt and Pepper. Oh, my God. And my friend's like, um, I just saw Salt and Pepper on the TV. <laughs> I was like, no. Why? And then the whole day yesterday, I was like Googling it and trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. And so the Salt and Pepper on the um, rocking, what is it called? Rocking Christmas Eve? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. um, New Year's, New Year's Eve, Eve. yeah. With uh, the Dick, what's his last name? Dick Clark? Is he still Dick alive? Clark. No, but it's called Dick Clark's Rocking oh, okay. New Year's Eve still. Okay. Even though it's that other fellow who... Um, who ho- uh, who hosts it? And it was pre-recorded, so it was recorded in November with Salt and Pepper. So we actually had the who, real Salt. And Pepper. How whack is that? That they're shooting motherfucking New Year's Eve stuff in November. So you got a whole crowd that's yeah. pretending like it's turning twenty twenty. Yeah, that's fucking hilarious. And it was like November twenty fifth or something. Because I I like went deep diving into it. Apparently they announced on they cleared it up on Twitter, but I don't know how to use social media. So I was like deep diving into it and found out. That it had been pre-recorded because I was like, if that was not Salt and Pepper, who the fuck was Yo, that? Which was hilarious because I was <laughs> looking at their Twitter feed because somebody had posted it up. They're saying that like they were in New York or whatever, and I was like, fuck, is this live? And um, and I looked on Salt and Pepper's like Twitter. They didn't say shit about Columbia. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which was so I weird because like, I tried what? to look up everywhere and they didn't even mention they were playing in Columbia. Oh my gosh. Well, they no didn't pay shows enough. Columbia love. Or I thought they was going to do some shit where they play and then they fly somewhere because it's a quick flight. It was literally too much because I sent the video to my friend and she's like, five minutes later, she goes, um, I just saw Salt and Pepper <laughs> and she's like, maybe Ryan, Ryan Seacrest. That's, uh, that's it. That's now. what it is. Yeah. It's like, uh, maybe Ryan Seacrest doesn't know what he's talking about. And, uh, whatever. It was weird. <laughs> the whole situation was weird. And. And I love that I didn't find out about it through social media. I found out about it because I was, you know, texting my friend. I was Aww. like, "Listen, I'm at, I'm I'm watching Salt and Pepper," and she's like, "I'm at home watching Salt and Pepper on TV." How can this be possible? Wow. You ever heard of a rapper named MF Doom? Yes, with the mask. Yeah. So he's uh he's from London originally, and I remember years ago when I when I brought uh I did a show called Colacon and I brought Fife from here from, mm-hmm. from a tribe called Quest and I was talking to my man Rasta Root. What up Rasta? And I was telling him that I was this is like maybe six years ago and I was talking to him about like bringing MF Doom and he's like, You don't bring MF Doom. I'm like, what do you mean? He <laughs> said, Check this shit out and, and I think the public knows this now, but basically he said that MF Doom got caught at the airport trying to come in the United States without declaring like eighty thousand dollars in euros or eighty thousand euros. Something in a book bag or something. So so he's banned from coming to the United States for like fifteen years. The so so when he was booking shows at that time, it wasn't him. He, because he always performs in a yes. mask. You know how he got caught? He booked multiple shows at the same fucking time. Idiot. Idiot. <laughs> so, so that's how he got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. That's like this. Um, so there's this Nigerian um artist called Lakbaja. You okay. know him? Mm-mm. And he's same thing. He performs in a mask and every, you know, a couple of months there's rumors about who he is. But I wonder if he's ever been caught up in something like that. Because it's, I mean, it's the same idea. Like he performs in a mask. You're like, all this like Vansky-esque figure. So you don't know who it is. Oh, Lord. And... What's the last concert you went to before this? Oh, I went on the weekend uh-huh. <laughs> to New Brooklyn Tavern. <laughs> okay. And I went to go see the Skeeter Bites. They're the Skeeter Bites. They're a local Columbia band. My coworkers. All right. That sounds dope. All right. 
Who's who, who's your coworker that's in the band? Um, Lillian Burke. What up, Hello, Lillian? Lillian. Okay, so side note, we we got into it until without saying who you is. Uh, oh, tell I tell us your job, am. what you do, and blah 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 blah. Blah 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 blah. Um, so I'm the assistant director of programming at the Nickelodeon Theater in downtown Columbia. Word. So, so I pick all the movies. At okay. Make your local and only art house theater in South Carolina. Oh, that's dope. All right. So yeah. so what's some of the stuff that like you're very, very excited about that you guys are doing in 2020? So um, every year we do uh, Black History Month programming. Yeah. And it's called Black Stories. Which yeah. Is a great name. I think this might be our... I mean, I'm new, but it's a great name. It's a simple black stories. <laughs> like, it took a long time for them to come up with that one. I don't know, and that was before my time. I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> this is my second black stories, <laughs> and um, we we played off the theme of indie grits, which you know, the Nick and Indie Grits are mm-hmm. partner organizations. Indie Grits is a media education, um, and media services kind of organization. Help mm-hmm. filmmakers, you know, make their movies and stuff. Um, and they have a fellowship program, and every year there's a different theme. So this year the theme is real fiction, and it's looking at um, the way news circulates, the way false news circulates. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this, you know, epidemic like the salt and pepper thing we thought yeah, was just exactly, fake right. news. You know? <laughs> um, so just the way that how do we consume media? How do how are we how do we make media? And along with that, we're starting a radio station. Um, but so the theme of black stories is kind of news media. So we're looking at um, stories made by black media mm-hmm. creators um, and then stories about black people and black representation. So we're um, screening Talk to Me. Okay. Yeah. With uh, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle yeah. and uh, dire- uh, directed by Casey Lemons. And did she direct Harriet? Was that the same director? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. And um, it's about uh, P.D. Reed. Who mm-hmm. is a black news broadcaster? Pee wee wee, yeah. yeah. And uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're also uh, screening Nas, Time is on Black. Oh, word. Yeah. And then okay. a block of shorts about black representation in news and the way that um, blacks, black creators are taking about black stories. So there's um, uh, uh, a short about um, Latasha, I forgot her last name, but she was uh, killed by a store owner. Mm. Um, what are the other? Black 14. And um, just this beautiful film about Southside uh, Chicago. Wow. All right. So Oscars is coming up. I felt like mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies of this year that got snubbed, and I came to the Nick to see it, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I can't even get the words. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but it got snubbed. Like, yeah. It was a beautiful film. I mean, maybe the story wasn't as tight, but it was beautiful. Yeah. It was just aesthetically yeah. beautiful. It was a beautiful story about black male friendship, which we don't often get to see on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's for someone from like me who's from Toronto, mm-hmm. which is a city similar to San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of it, it was a city where someone like me an immigrant to canada um lived downtown you mm-hmm. know we were in a in a in what you would call here the projects but it was you know an apartment building a subsidized apartment building um and we created that kind of beautiful community and then my neighborhood literally now is mm-hmm. like gentrified like i'm not even it's like it's like what 
Brooklyn, you know, became. Yeah, it's exactly. like that part of Toronto is like that. And so that story of like just loving the city so much that you can hate it. Yeah. And hate what it's become, that resonated so hard with me. Yeah. And also as someone who left Toronto, like I left Toronto to come here, um, it just it kind of reinforced that that that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to love the city the you know, that you love and and move somewhere else and still love it. But recognize that it's not what it is. That not what it used to be. Yeah, a great quote in the movie that said that um you can't hate the city if you don't love it yeah and i think that's what ends up happening it's like and, and that's the main thing about gentrification why i think it's so easy is that you have no attachment to the community that mm -hmm. you're moving into you know what i mean it, and it's all about like oh i can move into this area like i feel some kind of way in columbia there's a there's an area that is called cotton town <laughs> and that shit drives me up the fucking wall you know what i mean mm -hmm. and and it was in an area it's in an area that that you know north maine has always been kind of a historically black area mm -hmm. And, and there's, like, you know, white businesses that's opening up. And it's like, you know, I know some people that got those businesses, so, like, shout out to y'all. But, like, I just feel weird when white people are like, oh, Cotton Town is, like, the hot place in town. Mm -hmm. It's like, it just feels awkward, you know what I mean? So Completely. And we left that neighborhood. It's called Dobercourt. If mm -hmm. anyone from Toronto is listening, you'll know. You know, Blur and Shout Ozington. out to Drake. He listens every week. <laughs> you know, and that neighborhood, I grew up there from 1979 to 19... 94, mm -hmm. that's a lot of years, right? 15 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm yeah so from the time we came to Canada till uh, around the time that I started high school, you know, my parents wanted to buy a house, and the only place you could really afford a house, it's in the suburbs. And so, you know, kind of pushed out by gentrification in a sense because it was too expensive to buy in the neighborhood that we loved. Um, and then as a young adult, I kind of lived there as a gentrifier, which was quote oh, wow. unquote, which is so weird. You became part of the problem. I mean, no, but I always had cleaned to that neighborhood. Like, uh, I had aunties that still lived in the neighborhood. Uh -huh. My my auntie had a store that was still open. What kind of store? Um. Oh, my God, this is funny. Okay. Um. My uh, Dolly Mommy. Uh, uh, your mommy is your mom's brother's wife. Okay. So your mom's brother's your mama, and um, his wife is your mommy. And I just, you know, I grew up with her. I grew up in that store. It's called Dolly's Riding Gift Store. Mm-hmm. And it sold um, Jesus statues and Mary statues. <laughs> really? Yeah. And like, like, like crystal. Like the neighborhood used to be um, Portu heavily Portuguese and Italian, mm -hmm. and so you know, and, and Catholic. Uh, so you know, they would sell that. And this is the stuff that Italians and Portuguese people used to, you know, decorate their houses with or whatnot. And then once the neighborhood was in transition, there was a lot of. Um, Latino families that moved into the neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, and their practice is a lot with those candles. Yeah, like, I don't yeah, even, the, you know, the white the jar candles. candles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of kind of that, a lot of incense, and so they just always sold, you know, Christian paraphernalia. I guess which. And called? she's a Muslim. She's, and that's the funny <laughs> part because that part. I mean, obviously, we're talking about me having an Arabic name, but yes, I'm Muslim. Yeah, I'm wearing a shirt that says I'm a disorganized Muslim. <laughs> but um, yeah. So and it was funny and. Uh, yeah, of course my aunt is Muslim, and, and she sold that her whole life. That's hilarious. Her whole life in Canada, not her, you know, because we, we're from East Africa. Um, so I was just about to ask for the, for the two listeners. So originally, where are you from? 
I'm originally from Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, which is um, where I was born. And um, but I'm ethnically Indian because mm-hmm. you know things are confusing. But <laughs> I'm like fifth generation Tanzanian, so there was okay. a um, a migration in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, um, I don't know if you heard of this uh, British Empire. Uh, the British Empire. The British Empire was, um, you know, obviously had colonized India and had also colonized East Africa. I mean, it was the Germans, but whatever. It's <laughs> a long, weird story. And there weren't actually countries back then. But um, th- the British had um, had built a railway mm-hmm. uh, from Uganda out to the coast. Okay. And they used indentured Indian laborers mm-hmm. to build that. So there was indentured um, Indian laborers from India that went to Kenya and Uganda to mm-hmm. build this railway. Um, but, but the myth is often like there was indentured laborers, for example, in Fiji, in the Caribbean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, in South Africa, and they stayed. And there's you know there's big South Asian or Indian or Asian as we call it Asian communities in those areas. But in East Africa, seventy five percent of the indentured laborers went back to India. Okay. After the railway was built, which is not the way indentured indentureship worked. Maybe because it was closer, it was easier to get back. I don't know exactly what the historical um, reasoning is behind that, mm-hmm. but I mean, definitely in the Caribbean, in you know, Trinidad and mm-hmm. Guyana, it's half Indian, right? And these indentured laborers never had the opportunity to go back. Never just were able to pay down their indentured yeah, loans yeah. for travel. But um, in East Africa, there were. And they went back. But um, in order to make the railways viable, there had to be, I mean, viable for colonialism, and mm-hmm. viable for mineral, I mean, and resource extraction, was that there had to be um, services. So oh, they encouraged okay. Indian entrepreneurs or Indian shopkeepers basically to build shops along the railway lines. Okay. All throughout East Africa, so that's how my so my family wasn't indentured laborers. It's often a false history that Indians in East Africa are indentured laborers, but they're not. And I think it's important to recognize the specificities of history. But our families and our ancestors were um, either came mostly came as workers in Indian-owned shops. Okay. So that's how my um, my great 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 grandparents. You know, I'm fifth, probably fifth generation. How, how did y'all end up in 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 Canada? So I ask my parents that all the time, but um, they couldn't give me a good answer. So I don't know if I've told you, but I decided to write a dissertation about that because I'm ridiculous. So between between 1971 and 1973, (laughs) 50% of the Indian population, specifically in Tanzania, left. Mm. Um, And I'm... you know, I never finished my PhD. This is a blow the dust off of it, man. You know Continue, what it is? you know. I don't need to. Um, so th- th- between seventy one and seventy three, um, fifty percent of the Indian population left Tanzania, and my working thesis is that they were, um, this was post independence, mm-hmm. and they were losing their the grip, uh, their colonial privilege. Mm. You know, they're um, through colonial. I mean, even though we were products, I mean, of the British Empire, mm-hmm. uh, we weren't indentured laborers. We were what one would call an economic migrant. Um, but there was a, a triarchy of race in East Africa, mm-hmm. you know, white, brown, black. Um, and with that came certain privileges like brown people could own business licenses. Black folks couldn't. Yeah. Um, and with uh, an independent government, um, brown people were losing kind of that pl- colonial advantage let's say right yeah and like and you know what happened in 1972 in uganda all the indians got kicked out mm. 
So there was that, that, <coughs> that fear. There was um, fear that what happened in Uganda would happen in Tanzania. Also in 1971, and this is the crux of my um, dissertation. Unfinished dissertation. 2020, we're going to motivate you to finish this shit. <laughs> don't let my mother listen to the podcast. I hope your mother listens. Because you met my I mom. Ho- I and hope she'll be she like, Peach says you should finish because she listen, just hounds me to finish if my If your PhD. mother hears <laughs> half the stuff I say on these podcasts, I could never look her in the eye again. <laughs> mm. But in 1971, so Tanzania was ruled by the late Mwalimu Julius Nyerere, who was a socialist mm-hmm. and who kind of founded a, a, a school of African socialism, a mm-hmm. school as in like a, a theory of thinking. A, yeah, yeah, a school of thought. A, poli- a school of thought, there's a word. And um, part of that was nationalization. And industries in the 60s were nationalized in Tanzania. But in 1971, the government of Nyerere nationalized apartment buildings. Okay. So because people were seeking rent, right? Mm-hmm. They were making profit. Profit should not be individual, right? In a socialist thinking, Mm -hmm. the profits should be shared Mm -hmm. in the nation. So they um, nationalized apartment buildings. A lot of people would argue that it was specifically targeted Indians, um, but, you know, they nationalized industries before that in the 60s, which were not necessarily owned by Indians, but Indians owned a lot of apartment buildings across the country. This is like, you know, it was like apartment buildings were just being built, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's kind of process of urbanization, and so they got nationalized, and so Indian people lost their shit, and they left mm. because they they had invested heavily in apartment buildings. Yeah, and so they were like, "Well, there's no future for us here." Bye. And it was at a time where Canada um, had a, a more open immigration policy than it does now. So okay. if you spoke English, if you're high school educated, mm-hmm. um, it was easy for you to migrate to Canada. Whereas now that's just not the case, and the UK, of course, and a lot of. Tanzanians held British citizenship because, mm-hmm. you know, complicated histories. Um, my folks didn't, and, and we went to Tanzania. But we, like my family in particular, left in 1979. Okay. But way, 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 way after this. But this is the crux of it, I think, in the 70s. I have aunts and uncles that left at that time, too. And, so, yeah. So is uh, so you have a dual citizenship, right? No, because to get my Canadian citizenship, I had to give up my Tanzanian citizenship. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that something specific to Canada? No, it's specific to Tanzania. Tanzania does not allow for dual citizenship. Wow. Yes, which is an ongoing debate in the country for like the past, you know, 20 years. What's the reason? They were like, yo, if you ain't down to be with us, if you ain't down to be with Death Row Records, go over with them then. You know? yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. It's like, where's your commitment to the country? You're going to come in and out with your investments. You're never going to build or establish roots in Tanzania. So mm. it's like really kind of that... Um, What's the diaspora crowd, you know, what they're like? Well, okay, I, I have a question because it's, uh, it's always funny, like, when I meet people from different places that somehow, you know, if I go anywhere, I am, like, you know, the Wikipedia of of people that are from where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I champion that. So if you're somewhere and this conversation comes up about people from your, you know, your place of origin, who are some of the people that, that are on the list like you know what i mean like 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 who's who's your i guess would say ah who's the person like the expert in this not necessarily experts but it's like i put it like this all right if i'm if i'm out of town and i'm watching a seattle seahawks game and there's a tackle by a player named uh jadavion Clowney, i'm like yo he's from columbia you know what i mean so like anytime we go somewhere like like we know the motherfuckers yeah yeah. so who's the famous who's the famous people from so um 
it's gonna sound nerdy as fuck, but there is um an author, mm. a novelist. His name is M.G. Basanji, mm-hmm. and he won the Giller Prize, which is like the Canadian Booker. Okay. Twice, but I, he, for some reason, like he's the only person who's. I mean, maybe Margaret Atwood has won it twice. I don't know, but like he's not at, as well known as he should be. He's won oh, the Giller okay. twice, but that's who I would say, um, is someone from. That like that that he's the same like religion as me. He's the mm-hmm. same like subsect of the religion. Mm-hmm. So I'm Shia. I'm Ismaili. Like I said, just really subset from East Africa. Um, so it's definitely. So what what are, what are, what are the differences uh, um, as far as your subset? Oh, just different uh, traditions of practice, okay. different interpretations. Okay. Yeah, yeah school just you know I I'm gonna butcher this, but maybe it's the difference between we a Protestant and a Baptist. Mm-hmm. Maybe like. Okay, well, 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 fair enough. Listen, we ain't got no professionals listening to this motherfucking podcast, so you by far have the highest IQ of anybody that's done the Negro League podcast. You should listen to the last episode I did. It was pretty terrible. I did, actually. (laughs) It was good. With that woman from Charlotte. No, 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 no. The the one we haven't put out yet. Oh, okay, okay. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's such It's so bad. It's so, it's so bad. Well, I guess as disclosure, I think I mentioned it, but people might, um, not have caught it. Like I'm ethnically Indian. Mm-hmm. I'm like nationally like Tanzanian African, and I identify as an African, uh, but ethnically I'm Indian. Do you do you deal with that as well? Because like for an example, you know, um, I have friends in South Africa. who's write for a publication out there, mm-hmm. and and my complexion. I'm light skin, and I had a friend out there who's my complexion, and she was like, "Yo, come out here. They'll love you because you're a hip hop artist from the United States." And she says, "But." They'll invite you in their homes, but they'll never treat you like family because I'm considered a colored. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I so was like, just gonna say, yeah, that's and that's a different taxonomy, I guess, mm-hmm. so to speak, than East Africa. The the length of time Indians have been there um, is shorter than South Africa, and just the policies of segregation were so intense in mm-hmm. East Africa mm-hmm. that there was no mixing. I got you. Not, I mean, there was obviously there mm-hmm. was mixing, obviously, but it is not to the extent that you know there's colored like yeah, there is, yeah. you know, like they, they. It was very, like, like I was telling you about the business licenses, and then just residentially, like you would expect, there was the white area, there was the brown area, and there was the black area, and those have far, but you know, far and large stayed. Mm-hmm. Like there are still white neighborhoods. Brown neighborhoods and black neighborhoods in, in Tanzania and Dar es Salaam. Wow. That's kind of disheartening a little bit, but, you yeah. know. But I guess it's... Uh, it's a hard place to live. Like, uh, I just... If you're used to the kind of, like, mobility you have here, mm-hmm. like, I find that very difficult. All right. Well, so my question would be, from if you're looking at those three places, you're looking at Tanzania, you're looking at Canada, you're looking at the United States, what's one thing... I would say, I guess, policy-wise, from every place that you look at it, you'd be like, you know what? I like what they do. They do this here. I like what they do he- mm-hmm, this here, mm-hmm. and I like what they do this here. I mean, hands motherfucking down living here. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I say, that the one thing that will make me move back to Canada mm-hmm. is health care. Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know if Americans understand the extent to which your system makes no fucking sense have you seen that video of like british people who are like floored 
about how much Americans pay oh, yeah, for that's healthcare. Like, that's like, I guess you just die if you get sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in Canada, it would be the same thing. Like it, And today I was explaining to some coworkers, like literally just today, how the system works. And they, I mean, to me, I guess I just took it, not took it for advantage, but the, took it for granted, granted sorry. Yeah. Um, but it's just so weird. Every time I go to the doctors here, I get mad. Yeah. Like, why do I have to, like, you don't pay, you don't pay out of pocket, you don't pay a copay, you don't pay for your, you know, if you have good, um, like, prescription meds are not included in our system, but mm-hmm. your 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 employer covers your meds, you don't pay for your meds if you have good coverage from your employer, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, by and far, by and large, I don't know what by and far means, by and large, is that the <laughs> I mean, whatever, close enough. I mean, if you have a middle class job, you know, you're getting good prescription coverage, too, like, mm-hmm. I, <sighs> You ever watch Breaking Bad? No, I got through the third episode, and when that body disintegrated in the tub, and then yeah. I just, I was like, "This is disgusting." Well, well, you don't have to see the show to understand. There was somebody made this meme. So, so the premise that you got so far enough is essentially that this guy was a a fucking you know uh, chemistry teacher mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. He gets cancer, and he's basically like, "Fuck, I can't afford these medical bills. I, I gotta, I, I gotta sell drugs." So, there's somebody made this meme. Like if Breaking Bad was in Canada, <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was basically like, oh my gosh, I have cancer, and it's like you get treated for cancer, no show. Like you know, what I'm the show is over. It's like done. you know, you know. And I don't know how like something like that would work in terms of like long term disability. Like I know when you have cancer, when you have a long term health issue, like you can't work. I don't mm-hmm. know how that necessarily like translates in Canada, but I think you can get yeah, like unemployment insurance. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. So that's a policy in Canada that I'm like, what the fuck? Well, well, outside of uh, who Americans put in a White House, what does America do better know. than Canada? I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't mean to. Uh, the weather's so nice down here. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was about to say, like, I was about to say we do basketball better, but y'all won the motherfucking championship. Uh-huh, <laughs> we were at my house when we did that. But, um, I, I mean, I mean. I say that and mm. say in the same breath, I fucking love Colombia. I mm. love being here. I love, like, I love the ease of the life I have here. Like, I mean, I know for a lot of people it's a struggle. So I say that as someone who has a certain level of privilege, who's able to buy a house here mm. and it's affordable. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I th- that's about it. Like, I can't say shit for the school system. I have a stepdaughter who I'm like just shocked every day at how bad the school system is here. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but like I live in a, even my neighborhood, I can't say that I like it. It's like white as fuck. But yeah, it's pretty white. You know, but yeah, the housing is affordable. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's the main thing. Like you know, I'm a hip hop dude, so it's like everybody, you know, essentially like outside of like Atlanta, which is like the black mecca for black mm. music and art. Back in the day, it used to be like motherfuckers like, yo, you got to move to New York. You got to move to New York. And then you got motherfuckers spending $3,000 or live in a closet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and Toronto's like that now. Really? Like, I'm glad I left. Like, it is expensive. I think it might be more expensive than um, than New York now. Really? Toronto's insane. It's like the average for a one-bedroom is like $2,200 or something stupid like that. 
Wow. Well, there was a, you know, I don't know. Did you listen to the, the whole podcast or just me um, and a young girl? Yeah, just episode? yeah, with you and her. Um, like, I didn't get to the other one. Well, the other that, that's some nigger tree. You only listen to it. But but I'm glad you listened to the other one. Um, shout out to Angie C. Um, Angie C, that was we, we We were talking about, um, you know, just being artists and, and you're working in a field where, you know, you're you're involved in the independent theater here and that's kind of the connective tissue is, is independent artists and and, mm-hmm. and we were talking about like there was this this article that came out and charlotte is up the street so like there's a lot of similarities between columbia and charlotte but it was something that was basically saying in order for you to have like to live decently and not be considered in poverty status you have to like earn like forty one thousand a year in mm-hmm. charlotte mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and and if you're looking at like like artists for the most part that shit just don't happen you you know what i mean so so i don't know like i i I guess from from being around the independent arts whether it's film whether it's musicians i mean i've done some stuff with the theater or whatever you know i think it's kind of interesting to get perspectives of people that aren't directly artists Mm -hmm. but are around them what are some of the things that if an artist is complaining about the lack of opportunities in a place like Columbia, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I mean, I don't want it to be like, you can make your own opportunity. Yeah, yeah, Which is yeah. like cheesy because that, oh, I know that's listen, not easy. I, and, I, and, I get, and I get you because I hate that shit. I, I, I was it's juggling like, somebody about the, it's like the bootstraps argument. You know, pull yourself up by yeah, the bootstraps. That's yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't have any advice to give artists. I have advice We're to just give uh-huh. art administrators like me. All right, let's do it. Pay fucking artists. Don't ask artists to do shit for free. Put it in your budget. If you can't put it in your budget, then don't ask any. Like, I mean, just, it's so Why did, Why do they do that? Why, why, why do you think that they, they try not to pay artists? Because they can do it. Okay. I think, I mean, they're, like an organization like ours, right? We're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We don't make a huge, you know, we're, we're pinching pennies here and there, but an yeah. artist is not like, I don't know what else you can cut, but cut something else. Don't yeah. cut paying artists. And you know what? Breach, before I got to the Nick, there wasn't a budget line for panelists. Really? Like, forget artists. Like, if community people are going to come and speak, like, we do these things where um, after a film, we invite a panelist to. Mm-hmm. Have you spoken about a film? I, after I, a film? I, you know, you, you know, you you said it, so I ain't got to say. It, you know, you know, you know, my phone must not have got a phone call. You know what I'm saying? When you want the movies playing, you, you know. No, I haven't done a panel, but I would love to. Really? Do Even before I got here? Mira, like, mira, me never done a panel. But no. you've done stuff with the Nick before. Me, see, me, me done stuff with the Nick, but never did oh, no panel. Oh no, your Caribbean no. accent. I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the podcast will be. No, <laughs> <laughs> we watched Yardy the other day, and Scott was like saying, "I don't even want to say it on the podcast, but you know the the Idris Elba movie. I haven't seen it yet. Is it worth seeing, or is it? Annoying? It's worth seeing because it's well done. The storyline just wasn't great, yeah. and the you know, but the actors were good. Mm-hmm. The direction was good. The editing was good. But it's like Idris Elba is going to be a bomb director in a few years. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, just yeah, panelists. I think even like. Artists should be paid. Panelists, people who have an expertise, mm-hmm. like community activists. Like if I invite someone, like I invited people to from Black Lives Matter to sp- speak after um, Black Klansmen. Mm-hmm. We're drinking beer. <laughs> um, and there was no, and that was like my first month there. And I'm mm. like, okay, so can I, 
give these activists like 50 bucks and there was no budget line for it and so when i did my budget this fiscal year i put that in yeah i'm like i'm paying artists to perform here and i'm paying activists to speak i'm paying community members to speak i think as someone who's has a partner who's a professor mm-hmm. i think professors should do it for free <laughs> all right why well, all right okay so why should your husband do it for free because he makes enough money to do it for free and it's like he's presenting the community mm-hmm. first of all he's paid for the, by the government mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and he's presenting the community with his research like this benefits him I got you. To be in public spaces, to interface with the community. You know what I mean? Like, it's part of their, um, you know, public intellectualism. Ah, gotcha. Ooh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah, public intellectualism. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah. but if I get, if I, I mean, if I get a grant and if it's professors of color mm-hmm. who I know are involved in community groups, I'll give them the money, okay. obviously. Um, but I'm not paying my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Like not I'm allowed. Sure, I'm sure he could use the fifty dollars. <laughs> I'm sure he could, but I'm not getting fired over for some like nepotism charges or whatnot. But I know, and there's a lot of like film professors. I mean, mm-hmm. film professors at USC are all fucking white. Mm-hmm. My husband's the only professor that does kind of any African American film studies, mm-hmm. and that's not even. I mean, he just kind of does it because he does it. He's a lit professor, but like, um. Yeah, all the, the whole film studies department wow. is white at USC. And so it's like you can't turn to the university to get people to be on a panel about black yeah. art, you know, for yeah. example, like black film, especially. I mean, you have to and you want to turn to the community. You don't want only to turn to the academics because they're yeah. lame sometimes. Right. <laughs> and right. so you want to have and you and community members are put a lot of work into building their analysis and to building um, their research, right? They're doing yeah. research just the same as whoever else, and they should be paid for it. An artist should be paid for to reform. Like when you do your thing, I mean, not even not only are you paid, you get a cut of the door, which I think is like important. Yeah, like as something. much as you can, yeah. Make people part of the programming. Process. And that's and that's the thing about it is that is that it's not just saying, hey, we'll pay you this stipend. There's a partnership that's mm. involved. And and the thing about it is this, and th- and this is the thing that I think has always been an issue where it's like. The pressure of of being not just an artist, but in a town where I'm making black art, and a lot of the shit I do is very, very hip hop oriented. Or if you could see, you know, the show, the Black as Fuck show that I did, there's always this fear that you know, white folks have the ability to to. I give you an example. It's like white people have the 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 freedom to to talk about oh those are those crazy years in college you know oh you know that's those are the weed years or those are the the, the alcoholic years those those mm-hmm. the heroin years because because they have exactly the sniffing the heroin yeah, yeah. <laughs> you rub it in your pores it's supposed to soak in but um we're so corny but like but like they have the ability to fuck up and fail and somebody is still going to give them an opportunity. Mm. And there's like this fear with the black community where, you know, we can't ever have, you know, the college years where we were yeah. wilding out yeah. and doing some crazy shit because we do something wrong. We can't dig ourselves mm. out of that. You know what I mean? And so 
And so as a as an as someone that's an artist, as a programmer, that's in the back of my head too. Mm-hmm. Where where you you'll deal with a venue that don't really fuck with black music, don't really fuck with black art, but based on my my relationship with the community, they'll give you a chance. Mm-hmm. And if a situation don't go well, or if it's a bad night, or if it's raining, or whatever, we have to be like, we got to knock this shit out the park, right? In order to have another opportunity again, mm-hmm. where white folks never have to worry about that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I guess let me. Well, that's the thing too. Like, I I have a, not a problem, but I, I I struggle with the person that's giving people the opportunity. You know, exactly, like exactly yeah. when you when you ask me what can artists do, I'm like, I I, I want to know what I should do. As an mm-hmm. arts programmer, yeah. what would, what could I do that would allow for, you know, black art mm-hmm. to to be in our space, like to be in the Nickelodeon, you know, yeah. for example? I think the cool thing is that you're from out of town, too. So, like, there's a lot of shit that that I don't think you have the hangups on. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's, all, it's normal mm. for you to say, yo, I'm going to come here, I'm going to bring some motherfuckers to Black Lives Matter, and we're going to do a panel discussion. Who got a fucking problem with it? You know what I mean? Where I think that if if someone was in town with that job i'm not saying they wouldn't do it but there's that that hesitation in the back of their mind you know what i mean it's like it's like you know this city is very unforgiving to anything that's not usc football you know what i mean and 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 and, and <laughs> i mean this is a college town and and i, I can't heard. Yeah. i can't imagine like looking at like alabama football team like it's the same over there. Like in Tuscaloosa, I have no the whole place shut down. fucking idea what you're talking about. All right, so it, so <laughs> imagine like, I, imagine I how crazy football uh, here. Imagine how crazy University of South Carolina Gamecock football is here. That I know. Yeah. Multiply that times ten. Ah, oh, that's how Alabama is. Yes, uh-huh. because so so I say it's times ten because it's actually a program that consistently wins championships. Right? Okay. And and Tuscaloosa. Is so they're a, actually good. I've yeah. heard USC's not that good. No, no. no. <laughs> All right, now you, you, you got a husband that worked there. You got yeah. a husband that don't fuck him up. I don't even think he knows there's a football team. <laughs> well, he's uber intellectual. He's like, what's like, this, what's like, this ball? Know, what is this? He calls it sports ball. It's really <laughs> cute. Any sports he calls sports ball. <laughs> oh my gosh, but but you know, it, it's like, oh, you grab another beer. We going? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not done. I'm, Cause I'm talking. Okay. All right. We're gonna take like an open a beer break. We'll be right back. Oh, are we? Okay. Oh, nigga, I'm old. I'm bending back down. We you back. Are old. Oh, shut up. I'm young and vibrant. Dude, I'm so young. Yeah, I'm five years old for me. Oh, so you're you're thirty. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thirty-two. <laughs> Don't lie. You're twenty-seven. Well, I, I appreciate that. Lord, I feel old. Twenty-twenty. <laughs> 2020 it makes me feel very old. Somebody posted that. I'm scared of 2020. Man. This election. Oh, man. Did you see a Michael Moore? I mean, I like Michael Moore. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Even though he's white. But <laughs> he, you know, he predicted that Trump would, he was the only one who he predicted was the first Trump. One. He was the first one that called that shit out. And he called it for this 2020. I agree with that. Um, I'm scared. I'm I'm terrified. I feel like. I feel like what's going on with the GOP is that Trump is kind of like all the shit that would like destroy anybody else. He's created a narrative that, of course, I'm impeached because he always hated me. I just even 
I mean, oh, could you I imagine? I can't. I can't intellectualize it. I can't talk about it. I, I just, it, the oh, there's no like, there's nowhere to, there's no way for me to talk about it. Well, this is the peak like, of. I just, oh, it's the peak of racism, and and I think I don't know if oh. I talked about this on the other podcast, but it was like, you know, the country always goes to the opposite end of the pendulum and it's always for the worst so for an example if i look at like racism in the country if you look at like the formation of the clan i'm like all right when was the formation of the clan it was post-civil war and you have reconstruction so all of a sudden you know there's this this movement of white people that's like yo there's a bunch of free black people we need to create this entity to scare the fuck out of them you know um when you look at uh even in Colombia, where we had the Confederate flag that was on the state house, it got taken down after Charleston nine. Oh it was like the sixties is when that flag was put up here. It's like when you have all of Civil these rights. exactly. Yeah, my you point. did talk. About you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And 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 Trump, now this is like the backlash against yeah, Obama. Absolutely. Right? This so is, this it never goes to the positive end of the spectrum because because based on that. Jesus should be here. You know what I'm saying? Like it should be like Nirvana after this if it swings to the other end. Uh-huh. But but I think that the worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh, I get it now. Jesus would be the, the oh. good part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Muslim. I I'm did sorry. not get that joke. It took me a while, but I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like who's Jesus? <laughs> Jesus? Who's that? Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus. So my so my thing would be for Trump to get reelected. Ugh. After being impeached, if we thought that he was a narcissistic asshole that couldn't be controlled, he's empowered by this. Yeah. I mean, if he wins re-election after being impeached, yeah. I mean, I'm moving back to Canada with my good health care. My stepdaughter will be in college. Yo, you and your husband need to just adopt me. Let's go. <laughs> like, like, let's go. I'm, Coming to our fold. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Like, yo. I don't even have to stay with y'all. Like, just bring me to a Toronto Raptors game, and I'll flirt with a cheerleader or something. And then, <laughs> take you yo, home. I'll, I'll, I'll try to have enough game for one of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> His accent is so interesting. What is he talking about? Like, yeah, girl. <laughs> I mean, I don't ever hear that. I don't think I say a boot or bag. My family says I say bag. Bag. Bag like a bag. A bag. A bag, <laughs> a bag of chips. A bag. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but. We were saying about um, what artists could do, and I'm like, I don't fucking know. And you're you said something like low overhead. Mm-hmm, What's mm-hmm. that thought? Because I had something to say about that. Um, so the idea was basically, uh, what the fuck was I gonna say? Jesus Christ, you fucked me up. Because he had me all fucked up on, on this Trump shit. I don't know what. But we'll but, talk about Trump. I want to talk about Trump. Well, that's depressing. Um. But no, like when I when I talk about stuff like with low overhead, it's it's like the idea of of trying to do programming that's not like you know, you, it's not it, it you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where it's like feast or famine. So the idea mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of having like really great concepts and great ideas. I mean, I forgot what I was going to say about this idea, but even like the film series that we're doing, Super Soul Cinema. It's pretty low overhead in the sense Super of we play a movie and I just bring my turntables and, and, and the idea is just like a strong, fly, dope-ass idea. But but even like, oh, this is the idea I was going to say as far as like the content was concerned, you know, with, with the publication I write for, I'm like, it's all about trying to have dope ideas that don't cost anything. So one of the things I thought would be dope is to get prominent people in Columbia 
and to get their playlist for the week. So for an example, ooh, that'd be fun. And it's free. So all I gotta do is like, let's say like I text, you know, uh, women games, women's Gamecock coach. Uh, I don't have a number, but I'm just saying this for this for the sake of argument. Uh, 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 Dawn Staley. I have her email address. You have her email. Oh my god. I do. She's gonna introduce a film at the Nick. What what, what film? I don't know yet. Love know, we're working. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to do during March Madness, but uh, she was in. I mean, she was working. Charlotte, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare she said I she t- would do it, and then she's like, "Oh, I gotta work." I was like, oh. "I dare the team is good." You know something funny? Mm. She lives around the corner from us. <gasps> no. Yeah, she's up the street. I didn't know that. Yeah. She comes into the Nick all the time and watch movies. She's, that's she's hilarious. Movie. Well, movie I can step lady. outside. I can take a rock and hit the house. But I, I'll show you when I get out of here. But Ooh. but but the idea was basically be like hit her up, hit like you know Steve Benjamin the mayor, hit her up, and be like, mm-hmm. yo. Give me 10 songs you're listening to today. And they text you 10 songs, and then you can just make a Spotify playlist. And, right. be, and it can be like, yo, free times, uh, uh, you know, celebrity playlist this week by such and such, this week by such and such. And it's just free content. And it's just something that doesn't cost anything, but it's still creative. And it also does this, is that especially like, you know, I wouldn't say websites because people don't have websites that much anymore. But like your Facebook page, you want to create something <laughs> where people come to your shit on a regular basis. Right. And, and, and for like a website – especially a journalist-associated uh, website, you know, to get people to keep coming back. If you're like, yo, next week, I'm going to see somebody else that's in the community and just hear some music that they got, I'm going to come back to this. And those mm. are the kind of the ideas of, of trying to think of really, like, dope, low-overhead, creative ideas that really don't cost much, you know? So I think in terms, um, as an art administrator. As an art administrator. Um, I think of myself more as a community organizer. Like the the reason that I th- I mean the re- I don't know you'd have to ask the interview committee, but I think the reason that I got this job is not I mean I I don't shit about films. I'm not an artist, but what I can do is program with the community. So I mm-hmm. I did community radio for 15 years, mm-hmm. um, and I was the director of um, news and spoken word department at a local community radio station. Mm. Right, so I work with communities to organize their programming and that's what i'm doing here right i'm working with the community to get programming like i don't do the programming on my own yeah right like i know this much about film and cinephiles and people who are into film are the most fucking annoying programmers (laughs) ever Because they're so like, this film and that yeah. film. And, and yeah. then you'll just be watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the rest of your fucking life. Oh, boy. Which was such a shitty film. But... All right, we're going to talk about some movies in a second. Oh, yeah, let's talk about like, movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my expertise now, apparently, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was saying is that I know how to work... Like, my experience is working with communities, giving communities access, collectively programming. I'm not into like sitting in my office and picking movies on my own yeah, that yeah. makes no sense to me like i all my programming is done collectively like we program mm-hmm. super soul cinema together mm-hmm. we have a committee that programs our documentary series we have a committee mm-hmm. that document um that programs our queer series we have a committee that documents our genre late night series like um I, i'm not doing that on my own yeah like yeah. i don't it, it's not my prerogative. I think that that's the way to approach programming. Okay, so yeah. that's the one thing. But the thing about low overhead is that as an art administrator, that's what I feel like I can provide. Mm-hmm. So like for Super Soul Cinema, I provide the structure. Mm-hmm. I can provide the ticketing. I can, the theater, yeah. like the actual facility. Which for artists, right? to, have a, place yeah. to have a place to house your shit, yeah. that's the most difficult thing. Mm-hmm. So to have that solved, man, we Gucci. Everything is good after that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
I want to throw a motherfucking party in there. But so we'll I, throw a party. And I mean, but that's what I think. Like when you said low overhead, I'm like, yes. Yeah. That's I can provide overhead. Yeah. Like I do all the administrative work. Yeah. I book the film. You know, I do the ticketing or me and my team. Right. We do the ticketing. We provide the space. We provide the staff to work the bar. We provide the staff to start the film. You know, we have marketing assets to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that is like that. You know, so you just come in and you program. You're like, I want this movie. I want this date. And this is, you know, how. Yeah. And I think that that's something that that's a well, good way to work. We have the overhead. I have, a, I have an idea for that as well that I thought be really kind of kind of fly. Um for Super Soul Cinema, and this is kind of just think tanking right now, but it's like it's kind of fly. Where I think number one, I got people interested in sponsoring, so you don't, you know, the theater doesn't have to worry Woo-hoo. about paying up front and then take is taken out of like you mm-hmm. know my motherfucking cut. Um, right. <laughs> but but something I thought was really really dope is that um, I think it I think the idea same thing you are talking about community programming where you are it's like this integral progress and it's not like some uber intellectual saying, all right, I make this decision alone and yeah. you have to, you and know. And that's the way cinephiles are. They're so, fucking so, annoying. So here's my approach and this is what I think would be really, really fucking dope. So we're talking about the next Super Soul Cinema. We, we're talking about some of the Black Belt Jones movies where some of those movies are available. So I would be like this. We'll put that on the list. I'll come up with a movie and Bethany, who I work with, will come up with a movie and we'll find three movies that we can get and then people the, vote. Yes, we did that, and it worked well. We did that for a documentary series. Yeah. We're like, what's we asked like film experts in the community <laughs> to tell us what their favorite classic documentary was, oh, and wow. then we put it. We put, we had like five, and then we put it for a vote because we wanted to show classic documentaries. Then we put it for vote, and like I can't remember the number. Like I think like three hundred people voted, maybe more. Maybe wow. so, it was like a lot of people. Whatever the proportion is, it was a lot of people. Well, well, very interested. And it's so, it's sort of like the same way. Like you know, I've done maybe two or three Kickstarter campaigns um, in my life, and they were all successful and did more than what I was asking for. I don't like doing them a lot because I don't like crowdsourcing to your your people because mm-hmm. my friends are just mm-hmm. like me. My friends ain't got no motherfucking money. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But but when I was looking at the ideal of Kickstarters or Indiegogo's and shit like that is, you know, you know, working in a record store, there's a revitalization of vinyl, and I have a theory behind that too. And I think I said before, yes, but it's but stationary. Exactly. If if that blew people, my mind, I was like, Yo, I made that shit up. I every day I'm all fucking book. You know what I'm saying? Take that, professor husband. I said something smart, but uh, <laughs> we love you. But I, but nah, but I love you. But it was like. The idea of, of, of um, you know, seeing an industry kind of just die. Like, I saw my old record store just collapse because people just stopped buying CDs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. everything became digital. And so what ended up happening was that artists had to find new ways to get the public engaged because people weren't buying traditional CDs and shit like that. So, so Kickstarter became a way for artists to say, yo, I got an album I'm working on. And the public can say, I can have a hand in this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when you see the vinyl come to fruition or you see the CD being done, you're like, yo, you know, I made a part of this. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, my semen is in this kid, son. I Not mean, in the part kid, of that, I mean, I have, I don't know. I'm conflicted about this whole, like, Indiegogo or Kickstarter or whatever. I, I mean, I, I am and too. And the reason is, like, I, I worked before I... I I had this lame job before I, I, I moved to Columbia. I, I worked at the University do? of Toronto, which is oh so fancy. And um, what'd you do? 
I was the administrator of a translational health program, okay. master's program. It's like a professional development program for doctors, basically. Um, but I was, you know, I, I like the humble brag. <laughs> I was, I was an admin, I was an administrator of this master's program. But then I also was the administrator of um, an incubator, a health research incubator. So mm. that's for startups, right? Mm -hmm. It's a space for startups. It wasn't a physical space, whatever. But it was like a com we created, you know, like I like we created a community. We created funding opportunities. We created um, professional development opportunities mm. for these startups and. And uh, I just don't like this startup world because a lot of the work that startups are doing is, I mean, probably not in the States, but in Canada, was a big part of the government's investment mm -hmm. in health research and technological research. Mm. And even industry. Industry used to have research and development departments. And now that's kind of offloaded onto... Basically, small businesses. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a startup is nothing but a small business. Yeah. You know, but they're taking the load of, I mean, where I, in the area that I was, and, and a lot of these startups are like just technological research. And the, and the risk becomes the, the, the small business owner's risk. Yeah. As opposed to this big fucking. So then when you're, the hope is that when your startup succeeds, it gets bought out by a big corporation right ah, that's the I hope yeah, yeah, right yeah, but yeah. why isn't the big corporation investing in the research from the beginning it's just an offloading yeah you which know is, and people are struggling which which let's 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 be clear about like american politics that is the actual flaw that you know gop white people like the way that black people look at obama white uh republicans look like that at ronald reagan and they always mm -hmm. and they always bring up Reaganomics, and you just literally just explain uh, the flaw with Reaganomics because GOP is like, oh Reaganomics, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give tax breaks to the big corporations, to the big companies, and 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 when they save this money, they're gonna trickle this yeah, shit down. It never happens. It never happens, and that's the way that international development. Like I had a career in international development mm -hmm. before I went back to do my PhD. Like I worked oh floss in Africa. All over, right? And and I worked at uh, it's cold as shit out there, man. Ah, it's so cold. That's why I had to leave. <laughs> but no, like, and and I worked at like uh, NGOs, non governmental organizations, like international development organizations in Canada. Um, and where was I going? Right, trickle down doesn't work. Yeah, like that is the theory no. of international development, yeah. right? It, it doesn't work. And there's this great cartoon that I will never forget. The tr what the trickle down theory really is is mm. okay. So it's a a globe, picture a globe, mm -hmm. and then a guy standing on the top of it, which represents the global north, mm -hmm. pissing oh, on yeah. the global that's south. The, oh yeah, that trickling. is the that's trickle, trickle down effect. I mean, because you look at in in the past year, two businesses are valued at a trillion dollars. Oh. Amazon is valued at a trillion dollars, and Apple. And you know that Amazon, when they're trying to find a place to house like one of the huge warehouses they're trying to create. They're trying to find a place. They a want city. tax cuts. Yeah. No, not tax cuts. Not charge for taxes at all. Right. Yeah. Tax breaks. You, you know what I'm and saying? Look, look what happened. AOC fought against that. Mm -hmm. And those fuckers still came to New York. Yep. She's like, victory. Yep. They're paying their taxes. Yep. And they're still here. Yep. And they're still great. And they yep. can pay. The I mean, and the other thing is the way that um, kind of people value 
philanthropy from these fuckers, mm. like Jeff Bezos and the Which, it, well, yeah. and the Gates Foundation. It's like if they paid their fucking taxes, it, that's my thing. About that it. is more than their stupid philanthropy. Well, this work. is this is. I mean, a friend of mine sent this to me today. This is exactly on on course for this. Is that Bezos and them are talking about having like a homeless shelter. In right. one of the Amazon. In his, like, wh- whatever it is, like, yeah. communities building or something. And, and it's like, you ever, you ever watch New Jack City? No. All right. So, New Jack City evolves around uh, Nino Brown, which is played by Wesley Snipes, who's this crazy drug dealer in New York City, right? Terrible man, selling crack, killing people, fucking up the community. But on Thanksgiving, he gives out free turkeys to the, co- to the community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but if you didn't drug people. But that's the point. They not even afford their own motherfucking turkeys. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And that's what Bezos is doing with shit like this. It's yeah. like, hey, yeah. here's the turkeys for Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I and I just I just feel I just feel awful about it. So when I hear a billionaire dude do some shit where they're like, yo, you know, I'm doing a commencement speech at this college. I'm gonna play for everybody's tuition. Oh my god. Yeah. You know. True. But it's like the first and foremost, if people had better insurance. Uh, better wages, not having all these things that are are pounding down on us. Maybe uh, even have a better system for education. Right. The idea for a billionaire to come in here to pay for our tuition. I don't need your shit because I was like, I paid my own tuition. And on top of that, these people that are paying these tuitions that are getting the great press also are benefiting from all the tax breaks, tax cuts, and everything. That's the only reason they do it is because they can put. These, I mean, you know this Hassan Minaj? Mm-hmm. Uh, he did an episode um, recently called Billionaires Won't Save Us. Uh, yo, I need to watch it. Yeah, and there was this thing about, like, this is the part of it I didn't know, is that you get, like, tax breaks for donating. <laughs> like, that I, that part of it I didn't know. I just, like, so I was like, what? There's something where you probably Ugh. save more money giving money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, then then keeping the money. With this and this is the thing. Here's the thing, and this happens to both sides of the fence, right? Because you know, I'm watching Hulu and they got all these commercials popping up. And who's the guy running for president? Named Tom something. Steyer. Yeah, yeah. And and the commercial, they got like Steyer. we we need somebody. Fuck them. They, we need somebody that can beat Trump and blah blah. They go on this whole thing where they you know trying to interview black people, and one person's like, he built a business on his own that's worth twenty billion dollars. I'm like, no, he didn't. I know I nothing about him, but there's no way he built that shit but, on his own. But my thing is, I don't give a fuck. I think the association with people, and it's not just Republicans, but it's Democrats too, mm-hmm. that think the idea that somebody is associated with the the B word makes them better to govern. And I'm like, I don't want any billionaire in the White House. I don't give a fuck if they're Republican or Democrat. You know, so I'm watching like uh uh what's, what's the New York guy, uh the mayor of New York. Uh Bloomberg. Bloomberg. So Bloomberg Who you said in your podcast is supported by Mayor Benjamin. Nigga. What Did the you, fuck? You when are, I heard that, I paused yeah. the podcast and I'm like, Scott, yo. look what Preach yo. just said. Yo, I broke news, nigga. And that was in the Crafton household. And that, <laughs> but that's but that's kind of the thing that I was saying in the pod or whatever was that, you know, even when you listen to Bloomberg, when he's like doing his little commercials, because the idea of like, oh, we just don't like Trump. So all these Democrats are like, oh, we can win because we're just not him. And Bloomberg is like, you know, I'll I'll fight Trump and and uh, we'll attack the rich. I'm like, nigga, that's you. <laughs> the other thing, uh, Tom Steyer is also like a billionaire yes, or something, yes, right? Like he's yes. super rich. And he made, like he, I, I watched one debate 
I think it was the last one, maybe the one, it was the one before that. And he brought up climate change, but that fucker owned banks (laughs) that funded oil, the oil industry. Like, I just don't get the hypocrisy. It's like, I've learned now or something. I don't care if you learned your lesson. It's like Bloomberg's like, you know what? Stop it, Fritz. That was bad. You know what I'm saying? Sorry. (laughs) And that's, and that's the thing about it is that that's where I feel like, you know, it's, it's, you can't. I don't trust none of the billionaires because I don't because I believe that rich people and we're not talking about rich. We're talking about like ridiculous wealthy people at at some point they're going to gravitate towards uh, what's more beneficial to them. So anytime I hear someone saying, you know, I'm a tax the rich and I'm a this and I'm gonna do that and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you're a billionaire. That's like the how's that saying goes where there's this there's this proverb that's basically like, um, the axe convinced the forest that he was one of them because his handle was made out of wood. Mm. And that and that's essentially what it is. Wow. You, you know what I'm saying? Yo. That is deep. Yo, so gangster shit, right? And it's like, but that's essentially what it is. It's that is that you have these rich billionaires like, yo, I'm a billionaire, but I'm not like that billionaire. And at some degree, y'all are all the same in some regard. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and I don't and you trust got that. there the same way. Yeah. Like, for me, it's not even like if you're changing your stripes or whatever the fuck the expression is. How did you get there? Exactly. You got there by being a dick. Yeah. And, and I'm not down with that. Yeah. Yeah. So who are you rooting for? Who are you voting for? Look, man. Or who? You don't tell me who you're voting for. Well, I don't know who I'm Tell me for. what you're leaning towards. Listen. Can you endorse on this show? I can't endorse. <laughs> I mean, because there's nobody, there's nobody to endorse. I mean, because cause first and foremost, I think Trump's going to get it again. And I'm going to tell you why I think he's going to get it again. I think he's going to get it again because it's, it's terrible. It's that I think the Democrats are... They're fighting each other so much. They're eating themselves alive. And and there's this theory. There's plausibility to the theory, but I still think it's terrible. Is that, you know, um, who just dropped out today? Um, Castro just dropped out today. Oh, I didn't even know he was still in the race. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, but, but that's the thing that I'm saying is that so the argument from Bloomberg and Tom Steyer or whatever is these niggas is like, yo, we're billionaires. So we can still financially maintain our campaigns. And even when Kamala dropped out, she's basically like, I ain't got no money. To, to finance this. And so I think that all the infighting that everyone is doing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, that no one, um, you know, the public can't agree on nobody. So it's like, you know, black folks, they don't know if they like Kamala, they hate Kamala. They don't know if they like Elizabeth, they hate Elizabeth. They don't know if they like Bernie, they hate Bernie. My, but they love Biden. I, there's a lot of black folks that don't like Biden. The only thing, This the, is a Biden state. I'm gonna tell you two and things. And it's the black, it's the first black state, and it's I don't I'm know. Tell you, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. Biden is. Biden is Arsenio Hall. I don't know if you get this reference, but like there was there was a time where Arsenio got a lot of love because he was associated with Eddie Murphy, right? So it's like so like so like when Coming to America and Harlem Nights came out, like he was right beside Eddie. That was Eddie's guy, and so like. You know, Arsenio parlayed that into getting a show and doing yeah, some Arsenio's shit. But Arsenio's not white. But but the the point is, Biden is getting yeah, re- he's getting the Obama, Obama residuals exactly. Yeah. But at some point in time, I tell you two things I think about Biden. Number one, if there's a debate with Biden and Trump, I I promise you, there will be a fist fight for one of them. I, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Like <gasps> I I think I think I swear to God. I think that's going to happen. Number two, here's what I feel. I think I kind of put this at the feet of Bernie, but I don't necessarily blame him. 
Bernie is kind of responsible for Trump getting elected. And here's what I mean by that. I feel that I don't blame Bernie as much because I don't think people understood the extent of Russia. And I don't think they understood the extent of, you know, how much the popular vote didn't matter because Hillary had over three million more. But mm-hmm. basically what happened was this is the mistake of Obama. And I, and, and I think Obama made this mistake as well, where if you look at how Obama got the original nomination, everything was earmarked for Hillary the first time. Mm-hmm. And when she was going against this young whippersnapper Obama, whippersnapper. Um, Hillary didn't have enough money past like February to keep uh, for that year to, to keep uh, campaigning. Mm-hmm. And Obama just kept raising money. And so it became this thing where the public chose who the nomination was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and Obama, in order to get Hillary to support him, he's like, look, I give you a job in the cabinet. And she she was really good at her job. Um, and he said, when it's time, I'll back you. That's the other flaw with Biden. So in 2016, if Biden was a part of an administration that had two terms and you're a vice president and you don't run for president in 2016, that proves that you didn't want it. So for him to all of a sudden say, you know what, I want to be president now. That just sucks. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it comes off, it comes off disingenuous. The second thing that happened was Obama blindly was like, "I, right, Hillary, it's your turn." Where the public wasn't saying they wanted Hillary. Right, it's right. like the public, for the most part, was going more towards Bernie. Now, what happened that killed it? Because again, we super didn't, delegates. Well, when Hillary, quote unquote, got the nomination, when Bernie went to go speak at the DNC, he pulled his dick out and pissed on him. He 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 didn't give no concession speech. He didn't he didn't sound like he supported Hillary. There were more people in there that were supporting him than her. And I think that they both believed that Trump was such a clown of a candidate that he wouldn't win. And he shouldn't have because with Russia meddling and all this other stuff that was involved, he shouldn't have won. So in Bernie's mind, the whoever whoever's against Trump, it's a layup because we're competent and he's an idiot. So Bernie was salty because he thought he lost the presidency. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is, mm-hmm. so what ends up happening is when he created that bigger split, it fucked everything up. So I say that to say now, if the Democrats are smart, whoever polls number one should get the nomination, mm-hmm. and whoever polls number two should, should get eat. the vice presidency. Yes, because what what usually happens, and this is my theory about Bloomberg and Steve Benjamin, because I said this on the last podcast. I don't right? Yeah, yeah that yeah. he was asked, like he was because up for the vice presidency. When, when, what the when fuck? Hillary, when Hillary's emails were hacked, his name was on the short list for VPs. If she that, won, that's wild. So, so his name was sprinkled out there. He was brought to one of the conventions. He spoke. He did a speech at one of the DNC conventions, and he did a great job. And so, in my mind. Because the whole thing with, with when Steve was saying that stuff, it felt weird because he came out. Because, first of all, I've never seen him endorse any candidate publicly, you know. And he was basically like, yo, you know what? If Bloomberg runs, I'll support him. Before Bloomberg went public. And then the next day, Bloomberg's like, yeah, I'm running for president. And I was like, oh, okay, there's a conversation there. There's something that if, you know what I'm saying? Where did you hear him say this? Oh, he's, it was in the free times. Like, he went public. Ah, okay, okay, he, okay. He went, he went public. Ah, okay, okay. I saw it on his Twitter page. He was like, yo, Bloomberg runs, that's my guy. Just out of nowhere. 
Uh, is he still endorsing him now, or that I mean, was he, his he hasn't unendorsed him. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, but right, maybe right. it's the mayor thing. Who knows? But but that to me sounds like Bloomberg is like either a if I become president, there's a cabinet position, maybe a VP position or something because Steve's visions are beyond Columbia. Mm-hmm. Or B, if Bloomberg doesn't get it, there's nothing like a billionaire owing you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right, like, right, like, right. like. If he could be like, "Yo, I was one of these first. But you're right, like a, like a, like a cabinet position. Yeah. You know, like director. That's that's all these motherfuckers are fighting for. And that's the same thing I feel about something. Kamala. I don't think Kamala really wanted the the presidency or VP. I think she wants attorney general. Is she a lawyer? Yeah, yeah, she's attorney general. Because uh, there was California. talk about she was her AG of California. Yeah, yeah. There was talk about her and a Biden ticket, like her being VP. And, and, I've, and I've heard that. But here's but here's what I'm saying again. Only if. They're one and two. So if Bernie gets most, the, the, if he gets the most like attention from, from us, from people voting the Democratic ticket, if he's number one and Warren's number two, that's the ticket. If Warren's number one, Bernie's number two, whatever. The Democrats need to be smart because my thing is this. If we look at what happened in 2016, mm-hmm, I, tell mm-hmm, you what, mm-hmm. I tell you Trump couldn't have beat a Hillary and Bernie ticket. If they were on the same ticket, you, you know what I'm saying? Right. That would have killed it. You know what I'm saying? But who was Hillary's VP? Exactly my point. She got um. Was it? Hold on a second. Hey Google, who was Hillary Clinton's vice president candidate? Kane. Oh right. Yeah, Tim Kane. Right. But that's exactly the point. Is that these a lot of these people try to get their oh, VP. Yeah, I do this for every podcast. Yeah, they get like I know I heard it the other time, and I was like, oh. Okay. It's okay, Google. I love you. So this is not Siri. This is someone else. This is Google. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but not like I I I feel like typing is so pedestrian. <laughs> it's so overrated. That's how motherfuckers can't spell. <laughs> you see people try to write hey, shit Google. out. Yo, this co- this comedian talking about. We had to. We went to this cottage and we had this Google thing that mm-hmm. you could talk to. Mm-hmm. And my nephews, aged three, five, and seven, just were screaming, "Hey Google! Hey Google! Hey Google!" the whole time. So we had to it's unplug it because they were annoying. <laughs> oh right, I did it right now. Shit. Or does she it's only okay. recognize your voice? No, she hears it. You can ask her a question. Hey Google, what time is it? It's not recording. I'm so. <laughs> Fucking uncreative. Hey Google, what's the best film of 2019? Okay. Hey, white bullshit. Hey Google, turn your volume up 50%. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see the Irish one? Yeah, I did. I wrote a review for the Free Times after. Oh, season. I didn't read it. That's, okay. Okay. What was your? What? Tell me. Tell me your because it was. Where's my? Um, I mean, I had opener? to stop in Where's the middle. Opener? Where's my opener? Where's my bottle opener? Oh, I had to stop in the middle and go to cookout. <laughs> <laughs> and get Cajun fries and a chocolate milkshake. But there You're was so a, bored. But there was a post. She says she's so bored. There was a post that showed. How to watch the Irishman like a miniseries, so it broke it down into like four episodes. Yeah, <sighs> so you didn't like it. So no, tell me what you thought about it. All right, so so before I continue, did you like Goodfellas? I have not seen Goodfellas. Is that a TV show or a movie? Oh my god! Hey, hey, Google. I'm a fucking five foot hey, Google, Indian girl. I'm not tell watching us fucking how great Goodfellas. the movie Goodfellas is. 
Uh. Hey, Google. Is Goodfellas on the list of greatest movies of all time? According to Wikipedia.org, Goodfellas is 39th on James Berardinelli's 2014 made list of the top 100 films of all time. Do you want a little more context? Yes. Channel 4 placed Goodfellas at number 10 in their 2002 poll, The 100 Greatest Films. Empire listed Goodfellas at number 6 on their 500 Greatest Movies of All Time, and Total Film voted Goodfellas number 1 as the greatest film of all time. <laughs> I don't care about Goodfellas. I'm more interested in this Google capability. Can I do this? Can I activate this on my phone? Um, Yeah, it's just a little speaker thing. It's, it's, the, it's the Google Oh, this joint. is the, like... Yeah, the Google Home shit. And, oh, it's uh, not on your phone. Nah, nah, nah. But it's connected to my phone because it's like through the internet and shit. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, the Wi-Fi. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay, tell me. Tell me what. Well, uh, the reason I asked about Goodfellas is because Tell me about what you think about Irishman. Like, why is why is everyone like. I mean, because we're, we're men, we're suckers for, for mob movies, okay? Like. But like, it wasn't even a good mob movie. Sing it? it wasn't a good mob movie. Well, that's there wasn't what I'm enough killing. Which, which, which there was that? no sex. You're, you're freaky ass. Did you, you care about who's fucking? First of all, do you want a movie where it's like an 80 year old Robert De Niro fucking? I no, don't. but the de-aged one. <laughs> oh, but that's still 80 year old like Robert De Niro computer. I want to. I don't want to see no computerized Robert De Niro fucking. Which, by the way, you know he has a black wife. What? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he has Who mixed he kids. Who is he married to? Um, I forgot his. Hold on. Hey, Google. What's Robert De Niro's wife name? Diane Abbott and Grace Hightower. Oh, he has He's married wives. to two women? Oh, well, he probably divorced one. Hold on, let me show you. But, like, De Niro had this quote years ago saying, you know, black. he was like, black men, if you don't respect your women, I'll take them. No, that's, that's very <laughs> inappropriate as a comment. But what's the. He did say that, though. What's the, the mayor of New York? He has a, uh, de Blasio. Yeah, that's his wife. Oh my god! Yeah, he got yeah. De Niro, really? De Niro is like extremely interesting. Like his dad was a painter, who his dad after Robert was born, um, came out as gay. So he was this famous gay painter huh. in New York City, mm-hmm. and like his and and so De Niro like opened his restaurant with his all his dad's like artwork and stuff like that, and his his artwork is very very like sought after. So it's like an interesting ass dude. Interesting. But still doesn't explain why the Irishman is good. Listen, there's context to it. So if you look at the Irishman, you can't look at it by itself. The Irishman is part of a trilogy. It's it's Goodfellas, it's Casino, and it's the Irishman. And a lot of this stuff is that, like I said in my my review, which I just seen you motherfucking review and just call it a day. Yeah, it's just read it. But in the review, it's that the Irishman is kind of an avatar for, for all the people that were in the movie. And, and Martin Scorsese. So, like, as you said, there wasn't a lot of sex in it or any sex in it. There wasn't, like, a lot of violence in it. It was extremely cerebral because the movie was more or less about um, when people get older and they're reflecting more. And we and it's kind of touching because you're looking at all these actors that are getting in their 70s and their 80s. <sighs> you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think about it as... She's like, she's like old white men. Fuck them. Right? <laughs> no, that is exactly the point. Can you imagine a movie of like aging black actors? Yeah, it was called Life with with, with Eddie Murphy and Martin. See, I don't know it. This is what I'm saying. This is my point exactly. Like, I think that there's a a particular space and a particular um, allowance for white folks that people of color don't get. Well, I agree with that. 
Um, but I also feel like, you know, uh, Scorsese is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. But but also in the sure, same. Sure, but if he doesn't show in a particular film, but I, I, I don't think you like, should get the accolades. But I think I think he did show it. I just think that it was just totally different because you got to understand, like, for you not to have seen Goodfellas, that and that's like ground zero for all this shit. So there's like a there's like an internal commitment. Put it like this: it's like Scorsese movies for men is like Jordan's to black dudes. You know what I'm saying? It's like they build on each other. Oh well, oh, what do you mean build on? Well, that's other? the thing. Like, I mean, I can see your argument being that Irishman builds on Goodfellas, builds on casinos. Like, but but I'm casinos. saying but I'm saying there's an investment that we've had. Right. So okay, so there's this that. 25 year investment of this crew of people that that we've seen the extreme violence. He did that he did that before. What I want to hear now is the the thought process behind it. And that was like essentially what the movie is about. Hmm. It's about which by the way, I heard you paint houses a very fucking fascinating book. I didn't I never heard of it until the movie came out. So Oh, it's a book. I wondered what that whole thing was about. So yeah, so 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 essentially the movie is based around like cuz you know Jimmy Hoffa was always this mystery of who killed Jimmy Hoffa who killed Jimmy yeah, Hoffa what happened nobody Jimmy knew Hoffa. and so that guy Frank in the movie it was this guy who was associated with the mob had mob ties before he died he confessed everything and that that's the movie so De Niro's and character the mov- and the book was yeah that's the movie yeah i heard you paint oh, houses so okay, so okay, okay. so the got guy it, so 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 De Niro's character plays this guy um Frank forgot his last name, um, but like Frank's character is based on the real guy who's associated with the mob. Awesome. Nobody ever knew the stuff, and it was basically like before he died in his eighties, he confessed to all this shit. This is all very interesting, but it was still not a very good movie. Okay, well, so just saying. So I mean, it's fine. I mean, I mean, I don't like. I feel like it's the same. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What'd you think of that? I thought it was cool. I, there was parts of it that I thought was really excessive, but it's sort of kind of interesting what you're saying, where, again, the same way I feel like I can see Scorsese speaking through the movie, where you're having, like, this older character talking about morality and stuff like that. Like, Scorsese's getting older. so I mean, okay, but, but, but it, the morality in The Irishman was Peggy. I don't think so. She's, and she, she had, didn't say a fucking word words. in the whole... Well, think, that's the thing. Uh, it was her look that was the only kind of, like, well, here's, here's, pull on right. morality for here's, him. Here's, like, there was the nothing. Here's the thing. Here's there the was thing. nothing. There was no moral examination. Well, it did. It was at the end. I don't think... I don't know if it was moral examination. It's like, oh, no one wants to be regret. my friend. I'm in a home... I'm in a senior's home. And, like, no. It was... It I'm was more, repenting put, to Christ. Put it like this. We're not saying it was redemption. What we're saying is, what we're saying is, there's a guy that's on his deathbed and wants to get the shit off his chest. That's essentially what the movie is. But what I'm saying is, from Marty's perspective, the director, I, you, you know, he's associating with this older guy that's just like being reflective, like, yo, how much did I fuck up? When I look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I can see Tarantino using that movie as an avatar, where it's like, oh my gosh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, man. It's not like it used to be. So how does that? How does it that associate? It is white nostalgia. This is what I this, wanted to say exactly, about both these exactly films. The point that I'm saying at a point in time where black film is just black, not independent film, but black blockbusters. When mm-hmm. you know Jordan Peele, um, and 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 Black Panther are taking up so much space in mm-hmm. Hollywood, mm-hmm. you get these like white nostalgia films yeah. and it's the same thing with television 
all these reboot shows, Mad About You, what's that, Grace and Will and Grace, all these like white reboots. There's no black reboots. Well, here's the thing about it. I don't this th- is, it's this longing for like pure whiteness. It's disgusting. Well, here's the thing about it. It's like, I felt that way and, and, I'm, and I'm torn because some of this stuff is good, but I felt that way about Mad Men. You ever watch Mad Men? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> but I know what you're saying. I understand. But, I know the premise it's of like, it's like uh, my, Mad Men and yeah. Well, my beef with Mad Men is basically this, is that same way that I was talking about like white people have the ability to talk about the drug ears and, and, mm-hmm. and they can get over it. Yes. White people can can look at the, the 50s, the 60s, but like this, any period piece that you see in film and television, white people have the ability to have nostalgia behind it. Black people don't exactly. have the ability to do that when we're yeah. talking about the 60s and, and 50s. These and these films like in particular, this yeah. year, when black film did so well, mm-hmm. you have two white nostalgia pieces. The other big white movie to make it was um, Marriage, not to make it, but uh, you know, a big. Which one? Which one? Marriage Story. It's another kind of yeah, white movie. Shit, I haven't ooh, seen it. I, it that looks shit rough. looks sad as fuck. Ooh, and you married. Don't watch that <laughs> shit. I'm single and got scared to watch that shit. But but here's my thing. Is this is white nostalgia is like this longing for a time mm-hmm. when people of color weren't part of the discourse. Well, well this is but this is my the thing. Discourse. With, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I didn't think it was the longing of of the black movement. I think it's the Me Too movement. Oh yeah, that whole part where he he was mocking, mm-hmm. openly mocking Me Too movement when that the woman in the toes, the whole toes mm-hmm. in the car, and he doesn't make a move and he asks her, "How old?" Yeah, yeah. Like that is just yeah. pure fucking yeah. misogynistic mockery. Yeah. Like he was mocking. Like yeah. it was almost like he was like, "Oh, I can't do that," and it was like, "Ha ha, you bitches! I didn't do it." <laughs> you know, like you want me to do? It. You know, I'm an asshole, but I'm not gonna like. It, it, it was just. Pure mockery to women. Yeah. It was mockery to people of color. Literally, that whole Bruce Lee uh-huh. character thing. Like, mm. what the fuck? Like, Bruce Lee's daughter came out on it and was like, this is bullshit. Like, it was, and it was white revisionist history. I mean, that's not the way it went down. I mean, it's the same thing with fucking uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> you know I what I mean? I haven't seen that yet. Ugh, nigger. Hi, we got because a I'm a film programmer who watches movies now because I'm a film programmer. That's why I am a good film programmer. Ah, uh, because you don't watch, the, you don't get Not high, that don't I don't support. watch it, that I'm not like invested. What I'm invested well, in is what the community wants to see. Well, here, well, okay, so here's. I, I, if I it was take, up to me, I wouldn't have shown Once Upon a Time of Hollywood. I, I, take, I take some of this over to this other movie. How did you feel about Uncut Gems? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Huh? I, that's what I wanted us to do tonight. But you we did the plot. No, because I, I remember I texted you. I was, I was like, like watch it. You want to see? Okay. No, no, no. I hadn't seen it. So I was like, because Scott doesn't want to watch it. Okay. Well, so then I was like, I'll ask Peach if he wants is to watch it. Is it another screening tonight? Want to go? What time is it? Yeah, it's like, what, 930? There's a screening. Yeah, yeah. This is the Nickelodeon Theater, our last showings at 830. I mean, but who's the motherfucking <laughs> director in this motherfucker that you can do oh, what the fuck you want? You just want to go in and watch it? We could do that. Yeah, People do that. Start it, start it over. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You, like, let's do it. Like, whatever the fuck you want to do. Because I, because I have a lot of commentary about this movie, and I haven't talked to anybody that's seen it yet. I'm gonna watch it this weekend, and then we'll do like. I mean, I watch it tonight. Watch I've heard tonight. that it's. I mean, I, I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it, uh-huh. but from the films that I have seen, did not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Did not like The Irishman. Mm-hmm. Really liked Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which was a white director. 
BT dubs. Yeah, it's a white. It was, it was a white director, but but there was a a black writer that held him accountable. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It, it was his friend. And, yeah, yeah. And, like and this was, is yeah, his friend's life, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know it was based on yeah. So I mean that was good. What else did I like? What else did you like this year? <sighs> I don't know. You know when we talk about the the the, the white people thing, I felt that way kind of about Joker. I didn't see it. No, we can't come on. Yeah, I know. I'm so bad. Uh, don't talk to me about movies. I don't know about movies because right, <laughs> uh, we didn't play it at the neck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. What else did you see this year outside of all? This? Okay, so I went to Sundance last year and mm-hmm. I saw this oh, amazing humble film. Brag. Humble, oh, brag. What? humble brag. I'm on my way. I leave on the 19th. <laughs> um, I it's called Give Me Liberty, and I'm gonna really mm. try to bring it to the neck because okay. it was absolutely like I think. I should do one screening of a film that I loved. Mm, mm-hmm. It was just this beautiful film about, it's like one of those like, um, you know, one day things where everything goes wrong in that one day and you follow this character and he has a bunch of mishaps and yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. that one, 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 you know, one day in the life of kind of film. And he's this, um, uh, Russian, yeah, Russian immigrant mm-hmm. and a Russian immigrant commute, Russian American immigrant community um and he drives a disability van and he's dealing and he ta- he's the caregiver for his grandfather and it's beautiful and then he one of his clients in his disability van is this uh african-american woman with als mm. and it was just this one day in the life where he's driving these you know old crazy russian immigrants around mm-hmm. which is just so funny because they reminded me of all the old people i grew up with um and this black woman in a wheelchair and you know they have a, a love affair, and oh, you know okay. it's it's just it does race so well, mm. as immigration so well. It there is okay. I don't like to always talk about sex, but there's no sex scene. <laughs> but it is the hottest movie ever, really, or of the year. It was just a hot movie. All right, and it's called again, The Immigrant. Give me liberty. Give me liberty. Oh, Give me man, liberty. Like um, and it's in Milwaukee, in the middle of a race riot. Wow! Yeah. Did you watch the fucking Watchmen? No. Oh my I know, God. I know, I know. It's Yo. on my list. I'm in the Yo. middle of screening Indigrates y- films would right now. Y'all love The Watchmen. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard. Yo. Yeah, I really, I mean, it's on the list. It's it's going the to very, be watched. The opening scene of episode one I seen talks it. about, okay, the first episode of, of The Watchmen? Yeah, maybe. I kind of watched it. It was on in the background. The Tulsa race riots. The Tulsa race, yes, yes, Dog. yes, yes. Yeah. Yo, Regina King should win Every award when it comes to uh, uh, what is it, Emmy season, she's going to Emmys. Mop that's the, what I was when are the Emmys? Huh? I don't know when they are, but she's going to mop the fucking floor with them. She better. Yo, she's fucking amazing. But you know what? She has she has two Emmys and an Oscar. So what's wrong with one more? I mean, I'm not saying nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, hey, hey Regina King, how you doing? <laughs> hey Regina. Hey Regina. But uh, yeah, yeah, Regina. like she's incredible in that fucking show. The show I, is I, great. It's on the list. It's going to be watched. Yeah, and when you talk about like really unforgivable blackness shit, like really blackity black 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 stuff that's very well done, um, that's that's on top of the list of stuff. Did you see if Bill Street could talk? Oh yeah, she was great. That's what she wanted to ask her for. She was great. Yeah. Um yeah, I'd I'd I love uh what's his name? Barry Levinson, the director, what's his name? Hey Google, who directed Barry Jenkins. Never mind. That's it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm faster than <laughs> Google. Whatever, she was nap. <laughs> what? All right, hey Google, stop. But <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, um, okay. What else are good movies of this year? What else have you seen that you liked? 
Let's see. Hey, Google, what were the top 10 movies of the year according to Rolling Stone magazine? My apologies. I don't understand. Jesus Christ. 2019. You have to say 2019. Hey, Google, what were some of the top movies of 2019? Yes, tell me more. Oh, she just gave up. <laughs> um, a movie that I really enjoyed was The Farewell. Did you see that? that? No. Oh, Aquafina. That was good. Um, it, it's just a beautiful film about family. And aging, like it did it in a way that was not oh, white yeah, pandering. Yeah, the the Asian family. The, yeah, um, the Chinese family. Yeah, where they they don't talk about. Uh, they don't tell the grandma that she's yeah, dying. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was good as much as Aquafina is a, a culture vulture. That film <laughs> yeah. was not yeah, her, that. Her black voice is very fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah. But that film, it was beautiful, and it did like. Like all this stuff that they were talking about once upon a time in Hollywood and the Irishman, like this nostalgia and longing and reflection and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. aging, aging, right, was important in the Irishman. And then this, I mean, it's a different culture context, obviously, mm-hmm. but this did it in a way that was, it was beautiful, it was accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't, I don't know how much the Irishman was accessible. Like, I don't know how to reflect on murdering. Well, that's the thing about it. <laughs> I think I think there's a little escapism with that, like which it, it totally not to spoil anything with uncut gems. Is I'm not expo- spo- uh, spo- spoiling anything. I stuttered like a motherfucker just now. Don't. But like Adam Sandler's character was was, you know, you want to watch a character like I give you an example. The Sopranos is a successful show because even though Tony did illegal shit, cheated on his wife, or or murdered there was a humanity that he could show that people were actually rooting for a terrible person. You know what right. I mean? So, and I didn't see that in The Irishman. That didn't come out. But that's like, the, there, I had no point. sympathy for that, any of that's, these guys. But that's the point that I'm saying. That's where the escapism is. Is that is that when when we watch, or like dudes, when we watch these movies, we're totally so like, separated from that shit that we really don't care so like that was my thing with uncut gems and you and I, i'm interested to see how you feel about it i really didn't feel shit for adam sandler's character oh really yeah, i didn't feel shit for him i really feel for him just from the trailers and but, seeing that, but his that's fucking that's face just, every that's day just a, get to the that's office amazing, that's amazing <laughs> manipulation or a great fucking trailer but I felt nothing for him. Huh. I felt nothing. Like I he do want to watch it. Yeah, he's a sleaze bag. Like there was no redeeming qualities. None. None. Okay, last movie. Did you see Parasite? No. What was that one about? Okay, you want to talk to me about movies where you didn't see the best movies of the year? Well, it'd be nice if I get hey, invited. Google. I, I wish I had a friend that like you know had a theater that Shut would invite up. me to shit. Me. Every time I want to see a movie and I get you tickets, stop it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't understand. Uh-huh. Hey Google, what are the Best picture predictions for the Oscars. My apologies. I don't understand. Can you reword it? Hey, Google. What are the gospel? God damn it. Sorry. Hey, Google. What are the Oscar hopefuls for 2019? Sorry. I can't help with that yet, but I found something else. Okay. Do you want to know what movies won Oscars in 2019? No. What are the predictions for 2020? 
I'm not sure how to help with that yet. There's a lot of lists out there. I want to know. Yeah, cause hey Google, what are the best films of 2019 in art house films? Is that gonna work? I found ten on the website anothermag.com. Here are the first five: The Souvenir, Uncut Gems, Finally Varela, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, right. and Parasite. Mm. See, Parasite. Want me to tell you more? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Here's three more. Synonyms. And then we dance. And high life. Oh. By the way, if you want to see the whole list, you can check out the link I just sent to your phone. What? Oh my god. Good. Yo. Yeah. Check, check, check. Did you get it? You're about to see now. I have no idea what synonyms is, but I know the rest of those. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is gonna start playing at the Nick in like January, I think. Or maybe February. Like it's not out yet because it's a French film. And so it hasn't been released in the U.S. Don't you like my film knowledge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you be impressed, please? I I, I spit some, like, industry knowledge on you like right a now. Dude, look at you. you know what I really want? Um, I think we need to touch on this. It's very important, okay. I think, for me. Let's do it. I need y'all to give me a job. <laughs> Why didn't you apply for our marketing position? Um, I sent it to you, and you didn't apply. I get insecure, right? Because, like, you know, we listen, we're going to have a trust tree moment here. It's like, you know, like. I'm an artist, and I never, I never finished school because I went and toured around the world, and I always lied to myself, thinking like, "Oh, I can always go back to that," and I didn't do it, and I felt really insecure about it, and I felt like really like nervous and shit, you know. When I be talking to people, they be like, "Yo, would you go to school and shit?" And I don't have nothing to show for it. I got like seriously though, like I got like an album or something. And my dad, you know what I'm saying? My dad be saying shit to me, and he be like, "Yo, son, uh, you know, back in the day, I thought you would have been the president of the United States." And I be feeling like, "Damn, like I disappoint my fucking dad." Or you know, the I mean, because he felt like I could have been it. <laughs> Where did you, you know? start school, USC? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Community college, I'm playing. But now, like, so then, you know who Craig Melvin is? No. God damn it, man. We got to work on this. So Craig Melvin's from here. I was like, is it someone famous or is it yeah, someone that famous. lives he's in famous. Columbia? He's famous. He's on the Today Show now. Oh, yeah, he's, no. He, I don't you know, he did, like he did news in Columbia for a while. I met him a few times, whatever. And so he did this story on the Today Show about Columbia, South Carolina. And he walks into Papa Jazz. And I'm like, yo, Craig. He was like, preach, Jacobs. And his first words out of his mouth was, what are you still doing here? <laughs> yo, nigga, nigger, negro, dog. That <laughs> shit hurts. And I know he meant it in a way like, yo, you dope. What the fuck are you still yeah, doing? Like, yeah, nigga, yeah. you should be working with me with white women. But like, you know, it was like, you know. But it's Surrounded like, by white women. It's like that's heaven. Success. That's success. <laughs> They smell like lemon pledge. But no, like. Lemon pledge? And <laughs> yeah, that's what Uncle Ruckus said. He was I was like, <laughs> right. If they ute them, they don't know what pledge is. Oh, my gosh. It's a wood cleaner. Yeah, well, it smells delightful, according to Uncle Ruckus. But, Uncle but yeah. Ruckus. But I was like, God damn, that shit be making you feel bad. And then, like, you know, you know the artist shit where, like, you know, you ain't got no. You know, insurance be fucked up. You got that little bit and, you know, you, you you know, before you go to the doctor, you better WebMD the fuck out of that shit. You know what I'm saying? You better type that thing up. And that yeah. is America. That is not being an artist. But, because but, if you were in Canada, you could just go to the fucking doctor. Well, then on top An of artist that, or not. Yo. Let me just make that point very clear. I'm not saying that Canada's great. I'm just saying it has 
a healthcare system that makes sense. Well, listen, I didn't and that's accessible for the most part. Well, I didn't apply because I thought that my lack of a degree was going to get in the way. Why didn't you tell me about that? I thought I did. No. Well, and if you did, I would have said not a big deal. Well, I feel better now when you tell me that, like, damn, this stuff that's there that damn, maybe you should have done it. Um, well, I was more like, I don't know if you'd want a full time job. Because I mean, I, I mean, would, it'd be hard to gig with a full time job. But the thing about it is, yo, like, yo, man, 2020, man, fuck all the bullshit. Oh, my God. Another four years of Trump. Yo, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, fuck all the bullshit, man. Yo. I love the record store that I work part time at. I love it. You know, it's part time. But 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 I work in two industries that are dying. I'm a journalist for a newspaper. When the last time you bought a newspaper, <laughs> you know what I'm I saying? I don't buy it. Then. Exactly my point. Somebody. Yo, like like yo, like in a record store. Like that is really funny. I yo. never heard you put it that way. I mean, but that's but that's exactly what it is, and that's and that's kind of like the the depression with it. It's it's sort of like there was this article about. You know how Trump was doing this whole thing where he said, "Oh, what's up with the coal jobs?" And you know, we need the jobs for coal uh. or whatever, whatever. And it was it was so silly, right? That the context of this article was about the time in history in America when you had people that were the kerosene people to light the lamps on the street with horses, mm-hmm. and electricity was coming. You know what I'm saying? And it's like you got people like, "Oh, we need these people with horses with the kerosene," but it's like, "Nigga, we got electricity." And so like. It's like so. Imagine being that guy who your job is to fill those kerosene lamps and electricity about to come. Well, you know what I mean. I mean to that point. Like I, I, I listen to this. I listen to NPR all the time. Which, by the way, I'm a news junkie. I was, I was interviewed for NPR, and I think oh. I didn't tell you about this. Maybe. All right. So I was interviewed for a criminal podcast. Yes, you did. Yeah. What uh, happened to that? When's well, that see, coming out? I think it still works. Cr- when, when I hit them, when I hit them up a few weeks ago, like maybe a couple of months ago, they said, yo, we're still working on it. Oh, podcasts take forever. Mine I went to don't podcast. because mine ain't shit. But <laughs> I went to podcast camp for a week in New York, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, you should apply for this podcast camp. Really? And they're looking and they give scholarships. What, what, what's sending to me? Oh, yo. All right, so you're oh. telling me, so you're telling me, I mean. It is so good. It's at Union Docs. Uh-huh. And they, in the week with like leading podcasters from This American Life and The mm-hmm. New York Times and all these. Okay. So, and there was one guy from, oh no, what's it called? What are these big podcasts? Do we need to ask Google? <laughs> yeah, Google, tell me a big podcast. No, it's, um. Shit's out. Radio Lab. Okay, Radio Lab. All right. Right? Is that the name of the know, podcast? I don't, I don't remember. remember. Anyways, or maybe it was a podcast that everybody loved. Do you know how long? Take a guess. How long it takes them from start to finish for one episode? I don't know. Six months. A year. Get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, from like conceiving of the idea, figuring out all the guests, like for a really intense one. You know, mm. some podcasts are like some episodes of any podcast well, are like shooting the shit like this, like the nod. There'll be yeah. like some like straight, you know, two way interviews, and there'll be some that are like extensive documentaries. Well, well, well check it out. So this is so this is why I got. That's excited. why I'm like, it's not surprising that's not well, out yet. Dude, this is why I got excited because I I felt like I killed that shit when they did it with me. Like I murdered that shit. Like I did, I ain't cocky about a lot, but I was like excited. I was I did that. And like when I hit them up months ago, they said, "Yo, we're still working on it." So I felt confident about it. But like every episode that would come up, I would see like titles of stuff that didn't look familiar, and I got excited because apparently the last episode of criminal the the tagline was crime blotter 
And I was like, oh, so I'm thinking it's going to be a series because in April they're going to start doing tours. Because they were telling me that they wanted me to do panel discussions and stuff like that with the pod. So, so that was like one of my saving graces of last year where, you know, t- explaining to your black parents about being an artist is like explaining neon colors to a blind person. You know what I'm saying? It's like try explaining to your Indian brown parents who only moved to this country so you could get an education that you're not going to finish your PhD and you do this weird thing where you pick movies all day. Well, listen, you're not going to finish your PhD means that you have what? An ABD? What's what's ABD? Say it again. What's ABD? All but dissertation. Oh, see, I I didn't know that was what it's called. But you have a (laughs) master's, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the point that I'm saying. Imagine if you have none of that shit. Yeah, okay. Bachelor's, okay. master's, My parents have not been to college, but a master's is not good enough now even, because there's the temptation a of a PhD. Hmm? Oh, I would never show <laughs> But But that is not going to be like, who, who, disappears, who disappointed the parents more? Um, I'm not going to play that <laughs> game, right? <laughs> it is such a kid of color thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no white yeah. kids who are like, my parents are so disappointed. It's like, fuck you, your parents are happy that you take a shower yeah, every day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yo. Yeah. But, but th- that was one of the things where, you know, when I started doing the Negro League podcast, a lot of that evolved around, after I did, like, Black as Fuck, I'm like, how can I take these talents that I have where – you know, I love I love my music. I love my art. And even when it's not generating the most money, you know, I feel like it's my passion and I have to do it. And I tell people this. I say passion is like it's like fucking because if you're not good at it, you're just still going to do it anyway. Like people are going to be like, yeah, like, dude, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah. That's the best. Cause yeah. But there's nothing like, I mean, it's worse to have bad sex than have no sex. But that's the point you I'm have saying. You get that somewhere it's to like, It's like the worst dude, the worst guy fucking, if he has an opportunity to keep fucking, he's, he's going to keep too. fucking. Yeah. yeah. He ain't going to be like, you know what? I ain't really good at this, so I'm just going to stop. Yeah. That's, and what, no pa- one's, that's what passion is. And no is. one's going to be like, you should stop fucking. Yeah. yeah. So, that's so, so that's how I look at passion. Like, that's how I look at like making music. That's how I look at doing art. Like at some degree I have to do it. And, but I also feel like the music is kind of the connective tissue for the other stuff that I do. So, so it's not just doing music. It's DJing. It's being able to speak. It's being able to communicate. It's being able to be a journalist. So those are the things that kind of all come together. And when I did like black as fuck, I'm like, okay, I can do this where I can communicate and I can talk and I can do this and do that. And there's times where people reach out to me to do radio, but it's never like came to fruition or it was some bullshit. And I'm like, yo, had these motherfuckers that are on radio, I can do a better job than them. When I listen to these motherfuckers. Like that are, NPR or the radio? The I mean, can be, but maybe specifically radio, but like, and I'm not trying to throw certain people under the bus, but I hear people that are in that vein of, you know, um, speaking for a living, communicating for a living, interviewing, and they leave so much shit on the table because a lot of these people that, that I listen to these things where they're not from an inquisitive journalistic background or they just, you know, they're winging it. And it's just like, and I, and, and I say that to say that if I was put in those situations, I know that I could show my ass. And so like the, mm. so the Negro League podcast is based on, all right, Derek, you know, if you're, if you want an opportunity for people to hear what you're doing, no radio stations are gonna come and hire you. Let me do this podcast, even when I don't have any guests on the show. I'm gonna keep doing it, keep doing it. So there's a body of work. Mm-hmm. So when the NPR people came, all of a sudden I'm like, "Yo, 
here's episodes of this podcast where you can right, hear right, right. you can hear how I communicate, hear how I talk, hear how I do this, hear how I do that. Like your demo tape. Exactly. And and I created that, you know, on my own. And so when I spoke to those people at NPR and they're talking about me going on the road and doing these little uh these these panel discussions, I'm like, yo, this is what I'm working towards. So to explain that to my mom and them when they send me to a studio to be tapped into NPR New York studios or DC. Where whatever. did you go to do your tape? How sync? about they sent me to ETV? Oh, ETV, that makes sense. And they took me all in the back and they and they they patched me in, and it was the most yeah. professional, dopest, flyest shit I've ever seen. And so to to feel like wow, this is something that's coming to fruition. That's something that I can explain to my parents and they can understand. <laughs> to to wait NPR. to wait on that shit is is really really like crushing you know what i mean but you mm-hmm. kind of got to be confident that like yo it's gonna come through blah, blah 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 so like when opportunities come up like even the job that you was talking about that sounds like something in my alley i'm like yo i don't want to be in one of those situations again where someone is like yo you're the perfect right person for this job you'll do better than the person we're gonna hire but you don't have this and i get so terrified to even just spark up again that i just feel like i fucked up for so long i'm not saying fucked up by being careless but it's just like i made a conscious decision to be an artist right and and i feel like i'm so far in the ocean with that it's difficult to kind of turn back and kind of try to start over with certain stuff and it's and and it gets frustrating you know i mean mean, you can build on what you have like you can't disqualify i mean i thought doing a phd would get me ahead but I'm in the same fucking place as I was if I had started this in my 30s. Mm. You know? Like, it's just the experience. It's either 10 years of school or 10 years of working. You end up at the same place. Well, that's the thing, too, is that, you know, I, I feel like, if I'm honest, you know, even when I was talking to the people uh, at NPR that I thought was really interesting, I didn't think about it until I said something to them about it. It's that they were talking to me about, you know, doing the crime blotter in, in Colombia and I'm real gangster with race relations in Colombia and how and how it relates to crime. And the woman asked me this, she said, Do you feel like you're an authority to be able to talk about crime in the city? And I said this to her. I said, I've been doing the blotter here for over ten years. When they when they, they found me because there was a cover story saying that I did my five hundredth crime blotter in the paper. Mm-hmm. So there's about five uh five segments per per issue or five entries per per issue so so we're looking at between doing five of those and 500 you know yeah you're looking at 2500 double that amount the entries i don't put in the paper because it's stuff that if i if i could if i could read a police report and feel like it makes us look makes us us look bad as, as black and brown people if it's something that I feel like the cops did some dumb shit or something that I don't, I just don't think it's healthy to put out there, I don't put it in there. Or if it's violence against women, if there's murder, I don't put that in there. So double the amount that I right. don't put in the paper. Right. So I told the lady on NPR, I've gone through maybe six to 7,000 police entries. So I've probably read more police reports than the actual fucking cops. You know what I'm saying, and and when I and I broke that down to her, like when I did those numbers, broke it down to her because I was I was gangster as fuck when I did it. She was like, "Wow," and she was like, she was wow. like, she was like, "You are absolutely fascinating." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yo," so I'm like, "Yo," Who's the host, Do you remember um, her name? What was her name? Hold on a second. Hey Google, who's the host of Criminal Podcast on NPR? 
this up. On the website WUNC.org, they say, <laughs> criminal podcast host Phoebe Judge tells WUNC's Eric Hodge about Helen James, who was dishonorably... Okay, okay, okay. Hey, Gogo. Hey, Gogo. Hey, Gogo. Hey, Gogo. Stop. Look, it doesn't record, Google. She, it records. No, it doesn't. It's, it's low. Trust me. I do the podcast. It's, it's okay, low. Okay, you do. It's low. I didn't it's hear low. the last, po- last podcast. That's all I'm saying. Huh? I didn't hear in the last podcast. Because I didn't have the volume up. See how to tell the volume up? Yeah. It. But, it, but it gets it. It gets cool. it. You had to listen to the I other just, episode when I give somebody a phone call and, and, and Google tells me she loves me and all that type of shit. Like, it was a long conversation I had with it. Oh, it was weird. It was a long conversation so I had with her. Cute. Okay, I'm going to look at that. Okay. I got to go to the bathroom. All right. Should we just end the podcast? Yeah. All right. So, we about a, a, a buck 50 years. So, if people want to know more about Nickelodeon and some of the great activities and programs you guys got going on, what can we do? Nickelodeon.org. All right. That was easy. Um, What I got to do to get Nickelodeon to be a motherfucking sponsor for the podcast? Oh, no, we don't sponsor because well, we're, 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 we're racist. We're, we're not profit. But who said that it has to be a financial sponsorship? Yeah, we don't do any of that. Unfortunately, <gasps> it's just we don't have, we don't have the capacity. We don't have the capacity to kind of sustain that. I know it's unfortunate, but. If we do, oh, oh, uh-huh, we yeah. should do a live recording Nigga, that's of the what podcast. I'm about to say. That's what I'm about to say. At Super Soul City. That's what I'm about to say. This, I was about to say when we talk about when we're talking about low overhead shit. I would love to do. I would love to do this. Like I would love to do like shit where it's just one on one conversations with people in the community. So, so just like I said, you know, with the free time thing, maybe the Negro League can be like the Negro League yeah. live. Where? From the Nickelodeon. Yes. Let's yes. do it. It costs nothing to do it. I can do it. So we'll simple. do it. Yo, we'll do it. I want to do that. Okay. All right. We got her on tape saying this. Who says tape? Who records it on tape anymore? This you say no tape. tape. Podcast camp? They said tape all the time. Like, you get yeah, tape, you make time. tape, yeah. you listen to your tape. Um, Nickelodeon.org, y'all. All right. Also, I'm on the Twitter. The Twitter. At. At. Ome. Uh-huh. SR. Okay. O- I'm gonna say you gonna say the whole name. You gonna say the whole name. I was like, yeah, good luck with that one. At O M M E S R. I tweet about movies that she hasn't seen. Um, <laughs> I guess it's it before you have to use the bathroom. I hope it's number one. But um, this it's is the. <laughs> she's like number three. What the fuck is a three? Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a four and a half. What's a four and a half? Six point two. Yeah, that's when you invite people to use the bathroom with you. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <It's a> cu- <laughs> this is the Negro League Podcast. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to mobettersoul.bigcartel.com. Enter the code NEGRO to save 10%. We're also sponsored by Down East Records. Go to downeastrecords.com and Down East Records on all social media. Enter code NEGRO to save 10%. Go to them for your next vinyl needs. What up, Matt? We got some announcements we're going to do soon. We have homie Matt Barube coming up soon. We're also sponsored by... Tussie, 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 who? You can find me on all social medias of Preach Jacobs. Thank you guys so very much. I say all the time there's only two motherfuckers listening, but it's not just two motherfuckers listening. So all you motherfuckers that are listening, that are keeping this thing up on Spotify, and y'all be sending me comments that y'all are paying attention to it, it means so much. Y'all have no motherfucking idea. I love all of y'all. Negro League Podcast. Yerp. Oh my god, people actually listen to the podcast? I'll be touching you.